following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Now that last section there of the chapter, that story of Gideon putting out this fleece and laying out this fleece before the Lord, that's where you get the Christian practice of putting out a fleece. Are you familiar with this? Some of you might have done this. Some of you might have heard of it. Some of you might think it's completely bizarre. Putting out a fleece. It's the sort of popular Christian idea where you ask God for a sign of something to help you make a particular decision. Anna had a friend when she was a teenager who took this reasonably literally. She was trying to figure out whether to date a particular guy. And so what she did, she didn't get a fleece, she got a teddy bear and put the teddy bear... Uh, I think it was on a, on a windowsill of an open window overnight. Now, I can't exactly remember which way around it was, but I, I think she, she asked God, if the teddy bear is wet in the morning, then I will know that you want me to date this guy, or whichever way around the sign was supposed to go. She never ended up dating him. So I guess she didn't get the sign that she wanted, but uh, she used the teddy bear. And people practice variations of this, don't they, from time to time. So, uh, you know, more commonly, for example, if you are thinking about maybe moving house or relocating from one city to another city to be closer to your parents or something, you might say, we are going to list our house at a certain price, and if we get calls and we sell it at that price by X date, then we'll know that this is God's will, and we will relocate. And that's the sign. The sign becomes the sale of the house. Or you could be really risky like Gideon and you could ask for an unrelated sign because technically this is what he did, right? The sign wasn't actually related to the thing. So, you, so that would be like saying, we're thinking about moving house, relocating house. If there's a rainbow in the sky tomorrow, <laughs> then we will know that this is God's will. See, that's, that's dicey, isn't it? That gives you the shivers. But that would be technically the same as what Gideon does here. So Christians have taken this, this whole fleece idea and made it kind of an example to follow or a model of how we're supposed to seek signs and confirmation of God's will. So I want to explore this idea a little bit this morning, but uh, I want to back up and start at the beginning of the chapter to give this some context, and we will circle back to the whole fleece thing a little bit later on. But let's just begin at the beginning of the story of Gideon here. What we have at uh, the beginning of chapter 6 is the start of a new cycle. In Judges. So Israel again disobeys the Lord, and Israel is again handed over to her enemies. This time it's Midian. And Israel's treatment under Midian is particularly oppressive. Seems like what happened is that from time to time, these bands of Midianite raiders would come down and sweep through Israelite villages and towns, wipe out their crops, uh, wipe out their cattle, basically destroying Israel's livelihood. And the attack would be so severe that they would drive the Israelites into caves in the hill and clefts in the mountain where they'd escape to try and save themselves, to try and protect their own lives. So it was an awful type of oppression. You see up close the nature of this oppression when we first meet Gideon in verse 11. And where we first find Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. That might not seem strange to us because it's a totally different cultural context, but that's actually quite bizarre. When people wanted to thresh wheat, they would usually try and do it in the most open place on the top of a hill so that you kind of beat the, the wheat and the chaff is separated out and it flies away in the wind. But Gideon's threshing wheat in this wine press, a very enclosed 
structure, a small uh, inbuilt shelter, which is not the kind of place at all you want to be doing this, but the reason he is, is because the fear of Midian. Because if people start threshing wheat, if the Israelites are threshing wheat on the open mountaintops, the Midianites are going to see it and they're going to send in a band of raiders. So already with Gideon, we see the fear of the Midianite oppression, that he's having to thresh wheat in these far less than ideal conditions just to survive and just to have a livelihood within Israel. So in that context, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. It's a bit ironic. It's quite funny. Because Gideon doesn't look like a mighty warrior at all. He's this humble, lowly, oppressed man threshing wheat in a wine press. But God addresses him, or the angel addresses him, as mighty warrior. And Gideon doesn't know that it's an angel or that it's God speaking to him. So he gets a bit cheeky and he says, Pardon me, my Lord, uh, which is just a title you would use for an important person. If the Lord's with us, why has all this happened to us? In other words, if God's really here, if his presence is here... What's this oppression we're experiencing? I don't really see the presence of God. We've heard about it. We know God delivered our ancestors from Egypt. But all we see now is hardship. All we see is adversity and difficulty. It doesn't seem like God's really with us at all. And the angel of the Lord just kind of barrels ahead, doesn't really answer that question, just keeps going and says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And then Gideon gets on this whole self-defensive speech about I'm the least in my family and my clan's the weakest in Manasseh and how can this possibly happen? I'm not qualified, yada, yada, yada. And the Lord answered in verse 16, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. And it starts to dawn on Gideon that he is not dealing with a stranger, a person. He is dealing with God and he is hearing from Yahweh and his disposition changes. He asks for an authenticating sign that this is really God speaking to him, and this is really what God's asking of him. He asks if he can bring an offering to God, to the angel. God says yes, so Gideon goes and makes this bread, gets some meat, presents it before the Lord, and the fire comes down and consumes the meat and the bread. It's a sign that the offering is acceptable, and it's a sign that God's favor is with Gideon to equip him and to prepare him for this calling. So this is one of the great calling stories in the Bible. This great calling of God to a particular person, particular time, particular place for a particular role in God's unfolding story. And it sits alongside all the other great calling stories in the Bible. The calling of Moses, the calling of Joshua, calling of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Paul. Each time God appears to a particular person and says, this is what I'm asking of you. And he gives them some kind of sign, some kind of indication that his presence is there and authenticates it so that they know this is really God speaking to him. Now, the problem comes in trying to figure out how this relates to our lives today. Does God call people today in the same way that he called Gideon? Because this is pretty impressive and we'd all like to have this, wouldn't we? So we know exactly what's going on. Angel of the Lord shows up. Does God do this today? Is this the way that we should expect to hear from God? Well, certainly God can do that. There's no question God's able to do this. And there's the occasional story you might know of where God has directly, even audibly, showed up and spoken to someone and given them some calling and told them, I, I want you to do this, go to this place, serve in this ministry, whatever it is. But it seems like most of the time, this is not the way that God works in our lives today. I remember many years ago, 
Anna and I went and heard uh, Don Carson, top New Testament scholar in the States when he was out in New Zealand. He's a very heavyweight New Testament scholar, works at one of the most prestigious seminaries in North America, and he was speaking over an Easter weekend. And one night, it was question and answer, and someone asked this question about God's will, and how could they know God's will in this situation? And he started relaying some stories from his own life. And he was talking about a time when he first finished his studies, I think he'd completed his PhD, and he was trying to discern what God wanted for him next. And there were two teaching roles available to him. There was a teaching post in North America, in, in, in the States, and there was a teaching post in Canada. And he was seeking God's will on this, and he was praying fervently, and he fasted, and he, he sought God's guidance, prayed and prayed and prayed. And we were all kind of leaning in, you know, for like, what, what, what's going to happen? How did God lead you? How did he guide you? And then he said, and finally the deadline for one passed, so I just did the other. And we were like, what? It's like the man of God, you know, top scholar, top seminary. What do you mean you just, the deadline passed? It just doesn't seem right. I mean, if anyone deserved a sign, right, from God, should have been him, should have been something, should have been an angel of the Lord or some pertinent Bible verse or a word of knowledge, should have been something, but it was just the deadline passed to this other thing. See, we want the big signs, don't we? We want the Gideon story. Fair enough. We want, we want this guidance. We want, this, we want it to be clear. But so often it's not. So often we don't get the sign that we want. John Ortberg, really popular Christian author and speaker, says this, I have never received clear guidance at any major vocational crossroads of my life. When I was finishing grad school, when I was going to my first church, when I was contemplating marriage, and even not that long ago when I began to think about leaving Chicago to come to Menlo Park, I would tell God that if he'd just send me a postcard with directions, I would gladly obey. But the postcard never came. Don't we feel like that? If God, if you just send me the postcard, just send me the directions, I'll follow you. But so often we make these decisions in a fog of uncertainty and anxiety, and we don't have the guidance we need. Now, does that mean God doesn't care? Does that mean he's somehow absent, that he just doesn't have his hand on our life in any way? I don't believe that. I think God does guide. I think he does call. I think he does move people into particular roles. But I think most of the time, you only see it in retrospect. Most of the time. When I look at the last 13 years of my life, when Anna and I first came to shore, I, fir I firmly believe God has called us to this church. I'm not talking about even as, as a pastor. I'm just when we first started coming. I think God called us here. I think he had his hand on our life. But at the time, we just showed up. We liked the church. And we kept coming along. Wasn't any writing in the sky. Wasn't any random Bible verse. Wasn't a fleece. Wasn't a sign. Wasn't an angel of the Lord. It was, we like the church. We appreciate what's happening here. We want to get involved. When I came on staff at Shaw a couple of years after that, I firmly believe that God led me into that role. But at the time, that was just a conversation with Jeff Vines at Wendy's. Hang on a minute. Wendy's. That's the thing. Obviously, very spiritual conversation after all. Wendy's was the thing. That was the authenticating sign. But, you know, at the time, that was full of uncertainty. I didn't know how this was going to pan out. It was sooner than I'd expected to come into pastoral ministry. And it was, it was, it was a real fog around it. But looking back, you can see these things more clearly. You can see the way that God has his hand on your life, and he, he's guiding your steps, and he's calling you, but usually only in hindsight. And very rarely do we know in advance exactly what God wants us to do or exactly where he wants us to go. And I think equally, there are plenty of times when God gives us freedom and latitude 
to make particular decisions. And he guides us and he leads us. But it's not always the case that there's only one particular path that you can possibly choose and everything else is wrong. I think God's will has a spaciousness to it. And he gives us freedom. See, the question that every Christian wants to know is what's God's will for my life? Right? That's, like, that's the number one. After what shall I do to be saved, then that's the next one. What is God's will for my life now that I am saved? And that question is just an obsession for many people. It's like God has got this personal, private, step-by-step, plan-by-plan, blow-by-blow plan for every part of your life, for your whole life, this detailed itinerary in His hands, and our role is to pry it out of His hands so that we can find it and discover it and know it. And we spend our lives feeling like it's a code to be cracked. Like, I've got to know, what's God's will for my life? How do I discover it? What should I do? How do I seek it? How should I know God's will for my life? Guys, I'm sorry if I'm knocking a sacred cow here, but the Bible never says God has a detailed, specific plan for your life. Don't take my word for it. You look at the Scriptures. You search the Scriptures, and you tell me where the Bible says God has a specific, detailed, personal plan for your life, step by step, play by play. It's not there. It's not there. Now, that doesn't mean the Bible doesn't talk about God's will. It does. And here's a really useful exercise. Get a concordance and go through and look at the times in Scripture where it talks about God's will, especially in the New Testament. Look at what it says. It talks about God's will plenty of times. And you know what the emphasis is? Overwhelmingly, the emphasis is that God's will is to glorify Himself through Jesus. That God's will is to establish His kingdom through Jesus. Like Galatians 1.4, where Paul says that God has sent Jesus to rescue us from this present age according to the will of our God and Father. God's will is to reconcile the world to Jesus. God's will is Jesus. He's the center of God's will. He's the embodiment of God's will. And God's will is to bring everything in heaven and on earth under unity, under the feet of Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians 1 tells us. God is glorifying himself through his son, Jesus Christ, and that is his will. So if you know Jesus and you are following Jesus, you're in God's will. You're in the center of it and you don't need to worry. God's will is for you to love and to follow Jesus. And beyond that, there is space and breadth, and freedom. So relax. Don't get wound up about it. If you love Jesus, you're in God's will. And so maybe that's the most important question to ask. If you're making a decision, contemplating the next step, future direction, use that question. Is this helping me grow closer to Jesus? Would this decision help me to participate in what God's doing, bringing glory to Jesus? Is it helping me to align my life more with God's reconciling work in me and around me, centering around the person of Jesus? That's really the most important question. I know it doesn't answer all of the questions around the specifics, but it's the most important question. Are we growing closer to Jesus or not? Because to that degree that we are, we are following God's will. I think a lot of the time, following God's will is more about simply obeying what we already know has been revealed about the will of God in Scripture. You look at this example of Gideon, the next thing that God asks Gideon to do after he calls him to this mission and after he absorbs the offering is that he asks Gideon to go and tear down the altars that his father has built. And this is a big deal because these altars to Baal and Asherah, they were his dad's and they're in his backyard. 
So this is close to home for Gideon. And these idols were central to his family identity. They were central to the religious life of the whole village. And God says, I want you to go tear them down. And I want you to then build an altar to me and sacrifice a bull on it in the proper way, in reverence to God. And Gideon's pretty, pretty scared. He does this at night, but he does it. In reality, though, what Gideon is doing there is only what God has already commanded every Israelite to do. He already said at the end of the book of Joshua, go and put away all the foreign idols that are among you. Don't bow down to these pagan idols. They are worthless. You seek the Lord and you follow him alone. That instruction's already given. So even though God graciously does show up and specifically tell Gideon to knock down these idols because of the significance of the task he's calling Gideon to, it's only reiterating what Gideon was already called to obey through God's word and through God's counsel. Get rid of these idols. I think a lot of the time we kind of seek a word from God or we seek a sign from God when really we're just called to obey Baptism is a good example, right? It's amazing the amount of Christians who feel they need God to tell them to get baptized. They need a sign. Well, God hasn't really told me yet that I need to get baptized. He hasn't really kind of made that clear to me. He hasn't really pressed it on my heart. He hasn't really given me a word. Guess what? God has given you a word. It was in Matthew 28 when Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You don't need another word. You don't need a fresh revelation. You don't need a fleece, a sign, a random Bible verse. You just need the word of God explaining this to you. And really what you need is obedience. To step out and obey what God has already told you to do. Much of the time, we don't need revelation. We just need obedience to what God's already commanded us in Scripture. And that takes us back to the issue of the fleece. Have a look at why Gideon asks for the sign of the fleece. In verse 36, he says, Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised. See, Gideon already knew what God's will was. When people ask for fleeces, signs today, they're generally doing it to try and discern what God's will is, but that's not even why Gideon did it. He already knew what God wanted. He already knew exactly what God's will was. What was he seeking? Reassurance. That's really what he wanted. He knew that God had called him. He wanted reassurance. He lacked the confidence. He lacked the courage. He lacked the faith. And so out of that weakness, he asked God, please reassure me that you really do what you said you'll do. And he asked for this twice. And you know, in the grace of God, God gave it to him. Didn't have to. God could have just said, for heaven's sake, Gideon, I've told you, I'm going to be with you. Now get up and go save Israel out of the Midianites' hands. But God did twice. God stoops down and accommodates himself to Gideon's lack of faith and gives him these assurances, gives him the sign that it asks for. And God is endlessly gracious with us in this way. You know, God knows that you may be making a decision in a fog of uncertainty and he wants you to know that's okay. It's okay. It's okay to feel that way. God knows that this stuff is hard. It's hard to figure out what his will might be. It's hard to figure out what decision we should make. We get anxious, we get uncertain, it's not easy. God knows that, and He is endlessly gracious in dealing with us. It's not to say He's going to give you a great sign. It's not to say He's going to do what He did for you, for Gideon with you. But He knows that it's difficult, and He wants you to know that He is with you in it. That He walks with you through these tough decisions you've got to make, and a, and a deep discernment process of how you are supposed to walk forward. But I don't think you need to worry about putting out a fleece like Gideon. 
It's not there as a model for us to follow. It's not there as an example for Christians to copy. It's a questionable practice. In Scripture, it was even for Gideon, and it's not there for us to implement verbatim in our lives today. There are better ways of seeking discernment when we face big issues and we face decisions in our life. Let me give you a few of these. A healthy way, if, if you're in this space, maybe you're at an intersection in your life, you're trying to figure out what's next, or you're seeking some kind of confirmation that this step is the right step, and how do I know, and should I put out a fleece? Let me just give you some practical things that you can implement. None of this is rocket science, but I just lay these before you to consider. First of all, listen to God. And by that, I mean spend some time in solitude. Spend some sustained time in solitude, being still before God, not filling the space with words, Present your requests to him, but he already knows them. He knows exactly where you are, and he knows exactly what's on your heart and how you feel about it. So just be still in the presence of God. Have the Bible open in front of you. And spend some time meditating and reflecting specifically on those passages in Scripture which talk about God's will. A really good one is the first half of Ephesians 1. Read that. Internalize that. deep. mentions God's will three times. All around Jesus and the centrality and the supremacy of Jesus. Because what that does is it lifts you up into a more important question. It gets you away from this kind of, what is God's will for my life, and what is God's will, what, what, what does he want for me? It lifts you up to asking a different question, which is, what is God's will for his own life? What is God's will for his eternal life? That's more important. And how can I be part of that? What's God's will for your life? To be part of his will for his own life and participate in that. So passages like Ephesians 1 will steep you in the great big cosmic will of God and it will help you anchor your life to something bigger than yourself rather than this egocentric way of approaching it where we want God to tell us His will for my life and it's all about me. Be drawn into the big story of God's will for the world and for creation. That's the center of His will in Jesus. So pray and listen to God around Scripture because God may be wanting to put an impression on your heart. It's possible. So be open to that. God may be wanting to give you the gentle prompting of His Spirit to lead you in a certain direction. He may make that clear ahead of time. You never want to close yourself off from it. It's hard to discern how much of that's your own subjective experience and how much of that's the Word of God, so don't put all of the weight on that, but be open enough to the presence of God that He can lead you by His Spirit, prompt you and guide you, give you a, a, a sense of where He may be leading. Secondly, talk to wise people. Get some good counsel. And I don't just mean people who have specific expertise in the area you're struggling with, but talk to people who have been following Jesus longer than you. Talk to people who are more mature as followers of Christ than you, who have been through some tough experiences, who have had to make difficult decisions themselves, and ask them for guidance. Now, they may not tell you, this is what I think you should do or give you specific direction, but they may be able to reflect what they see God doing in your life and how he might be shaping you in the middle of this decision. They may be able to offer you some counsel along the way. So seek the counsel of wise people. Proverbs tells us there's wisdom in the presence of many counselors. Choose them carefully, people you can trust, and use them as a sounding board. Thirdly, look at how God has worked up to this point. Now we talked about how you can see God moving most clearly in hindsight. You look back at his faithfulness on your life and you see it with far more clarity. So look, at the, if you're dealing with a specific issue or person or situation, look at how God has worked up to this point. Where are the signs of his leading? Where are the signs of blessing or not blessing 
or this direction or that? Can you identify ways in which God may be steering things to this point? And can that give you some indication of what he might be wanting you to do? Go forward. And then finally, just make a decision. God's given you the scriptures, he's given you his Holy Spirit, and he's given you a brain. So just make a decision. You can get so stuck waiting and hoping for some sign, and it prevents you from moving forward in your life. So at some point, you've just got to make a decision. And you know what? If you're making that decision in a fog of uncertainty, that's okay. Some of the biggest and best decisions you will make are made in that space. You will see that moment with far more clarity when you look back on it than you do now. Don't put all your weight on having a peace in your heart. You know, Christians talk a lot about that. Have you got the peace? Have you felt the peace? I don't have a peace yet. I need a peace about this. Well, it's nice to have a peace, but it's not essential to have a peace. Sometimes you're just going to feel anxious, and that's because you're stepping into the unknown. I'm, I'm pretty sure Gideon felt terrified several points along his career. I don't know whether he always had a peace about it, but he had God with him, and he obeyed even though he was trembling. And that's what God asks. Humble and trusting obedience in accordance with what we know. Following Jesus and loving him and loving other people. So don't worry too much about having the peace or not having the peace. Don't worry if you're uncertain, if you're anxious, if you feel like you're just in a fog with the whole thing. That's okay. You do your best. You maintain an open, prayerful posture. Talk to other people. Look for God's leading and you choose a path. And you follow it. And God is gracious. He's not going to let you stray outside His will without giving you some pretty major warning bells if you are in any way close to it. If you're loving and following Jesus, you're in God's will. So guys, I would say don't worry about pulling out the fleece. I'd leave it in the cupboard. If you're cold, put it on your bed. You know, Don't worry about the fleece, really. I know we want the signs. I know we want the wonders. We want, we want the angel of the Lord. But what we've got is Jesus. And he is enough for us. And his grace is sufficient for us. So let us center ourselves around him. He's the will of God. So start there. And if you're loving him and you're following him, you're in the will of God. And other things will find their place. Make the best decisions that you can prayerfully and carefully. And trust God. And rest and relax in his beautiful open, spacious, free will centered around the person of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we see Jesus right at the center of your will. And we get so caught up in wanting to know exactly what you want us to do or what decision to make or whatever. And God, I pray you'd grant us rest this morning, particularly those people here, Lord, that are wrestling with this and have a decision to make or they're at a crossroads or they're feeling unsure about the future. Jesus, this morning, give them rest. Walk among us now, Lord, and give rest to those who are weary and who are anxious and who are burdened by this and enable them to be drawn up into the bigness of your will, this huge plan that you are unfolding to glorify yourself through Jesus. Help us to participate in that as best we can. And help us to know that we can trust in you with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding and that as in all our ways we acknowledge you, you will direct our paths. Thank you for that promise. In Christ's name, amen. Mm -hmm.
This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.